1992, Radiohead released the song Creep. I'm going to assume that you are culturally astute and have at least heard the Radiohead song Creep. It's very interesting because it was kind of like just this one-off experiment. Like Tom York just came in one day with some lyrics and said, let's cut this. And within one day, they recorded the song. And apparently, they said, as after they recorded the song, everybody burst into cheers and said this was awesome. It's interesting, though, if you were a Radiohead fan, that it doesn't always uh, parallel all their other work. And to the extent that even as they toured, they rarely played it at all. Like, they went a whole decade or so without even playing the song, yet it was their most popular song, most popular song that they ever released. And you have to ask yourself why that is. And I would hold that the reason is, is because it's a incredibly relatable song. Apparently Tom York wrote it when he was like at a concert and he saw in the lights in the front rows was like a, a girl that he had been chasing and it just weirded him out because he's just like, okay, I was like creeping on her. And now she's here or something. There's a connection right there. But I think even just some of the lyrics push past forward and the, of the chorus, you know, says that, you know, I'm a creep, a weirdo, what the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. And I would offer that what makes musical power, music powerful is that it resonates with a part of our lives. And I think that all of us here at some point have resonated with what Tom York wrote, which is there's always their moment, those moments that we do not belong, that we feel like an outsider. And the reason we preface our biblical teaching for that this morning as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. And by the way, I'm using the remote we've had, like, you know, we're, we're going to work through it because I've got something later. And so be with me if I'm a little impatient with what's happening behind me. But we're in the book of Ephesians here. And if you've been with us in the first few weeks, you're like, it's been like this basic theology of what we've been talking about. Paul is just outlining what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a Christian. What we call that is our pursuit of the gospel. The gospel. Yep, see? Like, just work with me. I'm going to point at you. (laughs) Let's get back to it. It's just so weird. We're getting there. The gospel being this churchy word for the good news. And that's what we believe following Jesus is. That it's good news for all. And there's an aspect to that that we talked about last week. Seriously. Seriously. I'm going to say, slide. You just hang with me. Me and you, brother, forever. We talked about this last week, that process of sin and grace and eternity. And we often think that being a Christian is doing the right things, but that actually doesn't play into our salvation. What that is, is a reflection of the process. Why should followers of Jesus do good things? Out of appreciation for all that God has done for us. So he is good. We are not. He blesses us. And as so, we should think in everything we do, that we should be honoring God with our actions. And we talked the previous week before that, how that then is applied, right? There's our internal development. We need to change our hearts, transform ourselves spiritually. We need to interact outwardly with other people, but at the same time, we need to acknowledge that relationship. So as we're here now in Ephesians chapter 2, and if you have a blue Bible, I invite you to turn there this morning. And that's going to be on a page that one of you is going to shout aloud. 827. Thank you. And Evan is going to read for us this morning 
from Ephesians chapter 2. And Evan, if you will begin, we're halfway through there. Start with verses 11 and 12, please. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. This is one of the reasons that as you start to read the Bible, you get some stuff and you're like, this makes perfect sense. And you hit these types of verses and you're like, I'm really not going to get that. I'm going to move on to the next thing. So let's talk about an issue here that Paul is dealing with that is something that's pretty foreign to you and I today. But it was a major issue within the early church, the body that Jesus started and the apostles were trying to establish in the years after Jesus died and was resurrected. And that is of the two groups that made up the early church. And they were simply, maybe not so simply, just hit the slide, Dylan, the Jews and the Gentiles. And maybe you've heard of these two different people and you're like, wait, I've obviously heard of the Jews. There's Jewish people today. Yes, these are the descendants from the people of Israel who we read about in the Old Testament. So they claim Abraham as part of their lineage. Moses is part of the Jewish people. These were the people, God's chosen people that he was working through to bring Jesus into this world. Now, what happened in the hundreds of years preceding Jesus' coming was that the Jews, and we talked about this if you were with us through First and Second Kings, they were scattered all over the Mediterranean world. Map, hit the map, brother. And this is a horrible map because it's pixelated. I didn't want to make my own. But this will at least give you an idea, if you're familiar in geography, with the Mediterranean area. This blue and purple area is where the Jewish settlements had spread all over the ancient world. So understand that in this period, even though there were people living in North South America, there's people living in the Far East, the influence of culture globally was still in the Mediterranean area, and the Jews lived throughout the Roman Empire. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. They, they were the only people, the only uh, religion granted special, um, special clearance by the, the Greeks and the Romans when they ruled to not be persecuted because of their faith. Because they were polytheists. They just believed there was one God. Everybody else in the ancient world believed in many, many different gods. So they existed everywhere, and that's why when Paul went about, and this is why it's an important issue in the New Testament, when Paul and others went out to start churches all over this area to hit all these metropolitan cities so that the word would just spread, the good news would go all over the place, the first place Paul and followers of Jesus went to were the synagogues. And the reason they went there is because those were the people who would understand the story. They would be like, hey, remember that they were talking about this Messiah in the Old Testament and somebody would come and save us? That's Jesus. And sometimes they received the message and other times they didn't. And then they interacted with the other group, the Gentiles. Now, Gentile, a weird word, the Hebrew is goyim. It has no direct translation. Basically, it just means those who were not Jews. And actually, it's interesting is that Gentile was a Latin translation. The Latin translation was a few hundred years after Jesus was born. And you might even see that in the etymology. It was like genteel or feminine. It was supposed to be the antithesis of what powerful Judaism was. And there's no place where Jews referred to Gentiles 
that they did so in a complimentary way, right? It was like if you were going to have a kid yell some derogatory term at another kid in the schoolyard, if they were good Jewish boys at the time, they would have been whatever you Gentile, whatever you goy. It was a, not a term of endearment. It was something that should have been avoided by them. And that is why there was a natural tension between these two groups. Try the slide, Dylan. And especially when it came to the church, because the Gentiles were seen as assimilating into a Jewish Christian belief. So because the first Christians were Jews, Jesus was Jewish, he was the Jewish Messiah. When Gentiles, non-Jews, had the chance to become Christians, they had all these roadblocks. Because the Jew, the, the Jewish Christians, the earliest people said, no, you don't just have to follow Jesus. You have to be good Jews and follow Jesus. And that's the tension that is all over the New Testament. Again, you and I are like, what does this have to do with anything? There's not like Jews and Jews. It's not like we worked all this stuff out, understand in those days it was very critical because of the law. Specifically with one requirement, the law that we have right here. A law about circumcision. Slide. Pictures, please. Oh, so close. Again, this week I was smart enough not to Google. And that helped me through. Understand this aspect of it, okay? That the, the, the Old Testament introduced circumcision and we, the, the Semitic people were the first people to actually have this practice. And, and two things. Number one, it was a source of great pride for Jewish people because they said this is God's covenant. And especially as they transitioned into the Greco-Roman world when nobody else was doing it, it was an us versus them thing. It was a nationalistic identity. It was akin to, you know, putting your American flag out on July 4th and Flag Day and any associate, uh, associated holidays where you would display bunting or something of the sort. It's the idea of like, this is who we are. And the Jews were basically saying, look, if you are a non-Jew, if you are a Gentile, part of becoming the church is going through this. And I'm telling you, you think church attendance standards are tough today? That's some tough stuff, y'all. I really want to linger on circumcision, but I see nobody else wants to do that. That is fine. This is the thing that happened with it. It cements this cultural conflict, an us versus them, an insider versus outsider issue. What does Paul say about this? Is he's trying to say, look, there's some of you who are calling out these Gentiles for this, but it's bigger than anything you can see. Evan, why don't you, and that was actually not like a little drop euphemism, but I'm going to claim it anyways. That was awesome. Evan, will you read verses 13 through 18, please? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. 
show this verse, Dylan, right here. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is the point of what Paul is doing, not just here in Ephesians, but he does it throughout the New Testament. And this is actually the point of the book of Acts, trying to bring the church together. What Paul is trying to do is unify everybody, to break down these divisions of Jew, Gentile, and make sure everybody is one. What Paul is saying is, look, the good news of the gospel is that it's salvation for everyone. It does not discriminate. So when, you know, that, that's something that's very interesting with Christianity as a religion. The only other religion that pliable in world history, by the way, was Buddhism. But what was interesting is that Buddhism, when it went into a culture, would take on the form of the culture and it was indistinguishable between other native religions. That's why if you've ever studied Buddhism, I actually took a class from a uh, Zen Buddhist teacher, like a whole uh, graduate course. And at the end of it, the th- the basically is that Buddhism is what you make of it. The difference between that and Christianity as it came through, it was not, not at all a divisive religion, except if culturally, more so the idea of if you just want in, if you want to be part of this group, you're able to come in. That's the power of what Jesus was able to do. That's what Paul writes about here is there's power in the blood of Jesus. We sing songs about that. We talk about that. Usually we think about that on an individual level, right? Like, okay, Jesus saves me, that's it. But understand that the blood is even more powerful than you think because the blood is, also has the ability to unify people, to take diverse groups and make them one. Now, the current tension here in Ephesus, Paul actually notes here in these verses. So I know, again, a lot of Christian words working around here, theological words. But if you look over over verse 15, it talks about flesh. And then later it talks in verse 16 about body. And there's that concept repeated over and over again. This is a hit on the circumcision people. And what they're saying is like, look, you are overemphasizing concept of flesh and body for the individual and not focusing on that of Jesus and what he did for you. So when Jesus came, those divisions were gone and they were no longer an issue. And the church needed to succumb to that, submit to that, become part of that. I like here also is that we see that part of what Jesus did was he brought the Gentiles near. There's a spatial conversation. And it's that spatial conversation that has a lot of influence on all of your lives. One thing is like even where our church is and where we're located. And some of you are urbanites. And even if you don't live in an urban area, some of you work within these areas. And one of the things is that the the reason that that dictates it is because there are people in close proximity and when people are together they build and work and move and even though we have these relationships some of us though enjoy our spaces this is why the suburbs were created this is why some people prefer a farm with many an acre outside because they want to have their space and what Paul does is describes this conversation spatially is that look I want to take you from far to near I want to bring you in for some of us who are introverts and we don't like people. That's a very difficult thing, right? Play the, this is the whole thing. I just want to play the video. I'm not even going to put the volume on it. But if you're familiar with the Seinfelds, um, this is the episode about the close talker. And I don't know if you're familiar with the close talker. He comes in and basically, you know, Jerry says, he's a close talker. What do you mean? You'll see. And the idea, what makes it funny is that he just gets right up in the face of people, Right? Now, what's, for some of us, it's like, this is hilarious. What's even interesting for some of this, it's one of those things that's like the office type of humor. It's an uncomfortable humor, right? Because you're like, no. Like, either you've known somebody like that, that is a space invader, right? Like, for some of you, that's your worst nightmare. 
that's spatial. Why is that difficult, though? Because there are certain people that we bring there. When my daughter was little, I was just, just like, keep your space, honey. You know, like, this is all about personal, individual space. I'm looking at Kathy right here. She's got this baby in this, you know, little sag. That baby is just right here. Why is that relationship okay? But if I go lean in on Kathy, it gets awkward really quickly. Because it's the nature of the relationship, right? Like, how close we are to somebody defines that area of space. And what does Paul say that Jesus does then? What Jesus does, it takes those who were far and brings them near to God. And that's a relational, spatial concept that is key to this entire thing. It's how the Gentiles fit in. Go to this slide for me, Dylan, because this is what we talked about the tension in the church. It was like, look, this is who we are. If you're coming from the outside, you're more than welcome but you're going to fit into our sub, our culture, right? And we don't even want you to be a subculture. Eventually, we want you to become completely Jewish. But the actual picture of Paul's slide is this. This is what the church is supposed to look like. A diversity that is existent, but not perceivable at a spiritual level. So that even though... We here as a church, churches all over the place, have people of different social economics makeup, different racial makeup, different everything. They're supposed to be able to come within the body of the church and amalgamate to melt. And that's what Jesus does for us. He brings all of us together. Let me, like, kind of, you're good, go to that slide. Let me explain this out because this is what's interesting about it. Because again, when we get to spiritual issues, we talk about what Jesus means to me, right? Like we have a connectivity to Jesus. We have a, 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 a relationship with Jesus that feels personal. It's something I talk about all the time, by the way. Nowhere in the Bible are the words personal relationship with Jesus printed because it is only an aspect of that. So it's not that Jesus doesn't do anything for me personally, but what he also does is he brings me in community with other people. And my little red lines right back here is the connectivity that is brought to us because of Jesus through the Spirit. It has a connection to where we who have no DNA relationship at all can have familial connection with other people who see things. And that's why, you know, Rob and I have no relationship at all. But even in my churchy, folksy way, I refer to him as my brother. And in essence, he's in some ways closer to me and my brothers. We have a relationship that is as close. And it's not because of anything related to our parents, familial, nothing. It's all about what Jesus does. So what Jesus does is brings all of us together. And that is the emphasis of what the church is supposed to look like. It's an emphasis on unity. It's about all of these different parts being one. In my job, I go around, I travel to different churches, talking to leaders all over. And this week I had lunch with like um, a, an emerging leader. He's a young guy and now he's leading a church that is like one of the fastest growing churches in the United States. And, um, you know, they've got mega everything, but they just had a difficult transition. What was interesting is usually in transitions, churches struggle. Like they start to do the math. It's like, okay, when we make changes, people are going to leave. So let's see if we can get past this. They made changes and they grew even more. And I just had to ask the dude. I was just like, okay, you know, because, and by the way, there was a national magazine that did a whole article. It was like, and these magazines are really boring, but like national churchy Christian magazines, because that's what pastors read. So I read the art article and preface of it. I was like, okay, that was a weird article. 
So I asked him about it. I was like, you know, that article was weird. He goes, it was because they didn't want to talk about the topic that I wanted to talk about. And I was like, what, what did you say? He goes, they called me up and said, why is your church doing so well? He's just like, because we're unified. And they were like, no, no, really, what are you doing? And he's like, I tried to tell them over and over again, and they still wrote this article that had nothing to do with what we're doing. He goes, but the biggest thing I tell you is that as we went through the changes, we just said, look, everybody's going to live humbly, and we're all going to do this together. Like, nobody is above anybody else, and as we move forward, we're going to do it as one. And he said, I really attribute everything that God has done to our unity. And by the way, that's not sexy or speaks well, because when those of us who are more structurally minded, we're like, no, 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 what's the, what's the secret ingredient? How does that work out? But at a base level, this has been the ingredient that has been present within the church the whole time for thousands of years, is that when God's people act as one, good things happen. John chapter 17 speaks to this, right? This was the, the Jesus, right before he was arrested, right before he was uh, tortured, beaten, crucified and died, killed, right before all of this. His last prayer for all of us was to be united. And let's talk about this from the inverse really quickly before we move on. Is this not the reason why most people in the world tend to reject Christians or Christianity? They say they're all hypocrites, but the one thing is that they see how Christians don't even support each other. We don't support each other. And that's something that we need to do. Not just, on a, not just on a functional level where it benefits me, right? Like it helps me to treat you all well because then when something bad happens to me, you're going to have my back, right? That's, that's functional. This morning, there's a new church that opened up in Over the Rhine. I've known these guys. Um, they're, they're good people of God. That's a tough place to be. And the thing is, is I've been calling and emailing them the whole time, just trying to cheer them on, root good. Root good? Root good? That's not even a thing. Cheer them on, root for them. Just because I'm like, that's great. If we have another church in this city that is doing something awesome, then it benefits everything within the kingdom of God. And a territorial thing, I'm just like, do good, but not that good. They were up here in Walnut Hills yesterday. I was almost like, hell no. No, I'm joking. I gave them a high five. I said, kill it tomorrow. And that's the reason why. Why, why do we have that perspective? Because... I would rather Jesus be praised and somebody else do well for that than for us to get individual accolades. Now, that's at a functional level. How are you living that out? Are there people that you're working with, you're like, okay, they're followers of Jesus, but they're kind of sucky followers of Jesus. And I, you know, I want to kind of railroad what they're doing. You might be like, that's a little devious, but I'm telling you, we have those moments, don't, you? don't we? Because you're like, okay, they're a Christian, but not really a good Christian. They're kind of fake Christian, so it's justified. It's not justified. What's Jesus praying for us to do? Be one. Just be unified. Just sacrifice everything else and get it all together. Evan, will you read verses 19 through 22 of chapter 2, please? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I love Paul here. He's going a little metaphor crazy on us. Like he's switching from metaphor to metaphor. We've got to see how a few of these work together. The first thing he talks about from his previous conversation, that Jesus doesn't just bring Gentiles in and staples them to the side. No, he brings them in fully, that they're part of God's kingdom. He elevates them far beyond where they were, and he expresses this in two different metaphors, right? There's the citizenship metaphor, and then there's the family metaphor. 
And I'm going to say that even though the two of those are different, there is some sort of unity that expresses within there. Because even though being a citizen and being a child is distinct, they don't actually cover up the entirety of it. So what Paul says, it's like, look, it's a hybrid of what these two mean. Because when you're a citizen, you, you, you're, you're part of a broader group. You have rights and privileges, and that's what being part of that. But the issue is, is that it tends to be more formal, right? Like, you know, I know some people that are very patriotic, and maybe they'll wear shirts or have mud flaps that have that type of thing. But you don't like, I want to cuddle with my flag. Like, it doesn't, it's never usually expressed with that. Because as much as it, it's like this pride, there's like a distance and that's where it's at. So, it, so there's some limits within that. But then as a child and part of a family, and this is something that unfortunately many of us understand is the dysfunctionality of families. And it doesn't then fully encompass what it means to be in relationship with God. Because you're like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a child, which means he's a parent. But because some of us bring baggage to this relationship, some of you are like, I hate that metaphor because my family's jacked up. I can't relate for it. What Paul says is, listen... Join these two things together and understand that it's the best of all aspects. You know, if you're just the child in a family, you know, and you're still sitting at the kids' table at Thanksgiving, it's not very empowering. And at the same time, if you're part of this country, but they're auditing you repeatedly, it doesn't make you feel good. Friends, it's like this great thing where the, the, the nation loves you, but you're never audited. And I don't know, free bunny trees and stuff. April 15th is just a day. It's just like this whole aspect of what it means to be part of the family of God. And that's why I think Paul puts this together. Because it gives everybody just an opportunity to understand, no, it's the best of the entire relationship. It's something that we can't even understand. The other thing is that Jesus is called the cornerstone. And you... you I don't know how familiar we are with cornerstones. Usually when we see cornerstones now, they're highly decorative things. If you go to the side of a building, it'll have a date and maybe it'll have who, who designed the building or who paid for the building. And, and usually they now use those stones uh, uh, to put, you know, materials in where they, you know, they hide in like newspapers of the day and documents. I actually had the opportunity at CCU, we tore down a building and I actually got to be the one with the hammer and stuff to open up one of these cornerstones i was like so stoked and basically as you would figure like over a hundred years things don't like maintain really well any air you know moisture seepage at all so it's like you pull out documents it's just like paper that's just half evaporated it's like very anticlimactic by the way even that that was my second experience we had an old church that we tore down not like that was my thing but when i was a kid it's like you know we we, we bought a church from somebody else, had one of these cornerstones. We brought it into their new church. Like all of us gathered around for it and there was absolutely, it was all dust. It's like, it's the most, it's like Al Capone's vaults. Anyone? I dated myself there. Google that, millennials. Um, it's, it's this, it's this, it's this incident where it's just so anticlimactic. But even though I show this, the problem is, is that the way that we perceive cornerstones are differently than it would have been done in ancient times. In ancient times, the very first rock you would have laid was the cornerstone because that lines up your two, law, your two walls and it offers the corner base support of the entire structure. So the very most important thing that you did within structural construction was get your cornerstone perfectly set. It was the most important piece of the entire project. And what is Paul saying is that, look, God's building up this building. And he's using all of us to get there. But the cornerstone is Jesus. 
He's the most important stone. With him, we are being built to become a structure that welcomes all in. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. So I return now to Tom York and his lyrics of Creep, right? Because then, you know, again, for you and I today, this concept of Jew-Gentile stuff, it's very fleeting, right? You're like, that has very little practical application to me in my life. I'm neither Jew nor Gentile. I just go to church every once in a while and look at potential pictures of circumcision on the screen. But I think this speaks to something much bigger because the issue is, is that what is it like for somebody from the outside to be able to traverse barriers to come to the inside? What does it look like for them to be, go from outsiders to insiders? And I think the biggest thing that we have, not just, just culturally, I would say, it's, it's something that permeates American culture, is that distance. It's lacking connectivity. I remember in 2004, 2005, as we were thinking about starting a church and I was like doing research, I found an article from a lady who was at that time writing um, columns for the Cincinnati Enquirer. And that was back when like, you know, I had actually printed newspapers here and, and somewhere I cut it out, I couldn't find it. But she wrote this thing and she's like, by the way, I've lived in Cincinnati for three years now and I really don't know anybody here. Like if it was not for my role at the local newspaper, I would not know anybody. And what was interesting, she wrote that in a thing a lot of people have said, even though she's not a faith person, she's like, I was told by a lot of people to go to church. And I went to church and I still had an issue of building relationship with somebody else. I remember cutting that out and saving that because I was like, you know what, that's the one thing is we start to build a church here in the city that that is an issue. By the way, that lady then about four years later left in her final issue, she's like, maybe some of you remember because it was the most popular article I ever wrote was that singular article. And she goes, I had a lot of people writing to me and say, I feel exactly the same. She felt the same. And she's like, it didn't really change. And she left this town and she's like, maybe the saddest thing is that I have very few relationships that I'm going to take with me from here. That's the type of thing that depresses me. Maybe on a relational level, but specifically on a spiritual level. And again, I travel a lot and I have a passion for churches, but I also really love people who are far from God. And oftentimes, even though they might have intellectual objections to God, part of it just comes down to relationships. And their inability to get past it. And then I think about us and how we are. And I think that's why that, that concept has driven me. And I think we could probably do a, a chain where we pass around the microphone and ask people who have been here a long time. What has Echo meant to you relationally? And I'm like, okay, we've done, we've had some great victories with like, some of you came to Cincinnati not knowing anybody, became a part of this church family and that is now, those are the relationships now that are impacting your entire life. That's why you're here. You tolerate the bad jokes and the sermons. You come back for the people. That's a beautiful thing. That's, that makes me excited. But here's my issue is that I still feel, you go back to this one because I think what needs to stare us in the face. In any organization, there are insiders and outsiders. Too, true? Like it exists. Maybe at your school. Maybe at your place of employment. 
maybe in the HOA in your condominium or, you know, your, apart, your, your apartment complex or on your cul-de-sac, right? Like there are these things that it's like, okay, there's some people who are in and some people are out. And what we are trying to do is like needle our way into that so that we can go from being insiders and outsiders. Is that not true? Do we not have those experiences? And when we go from outsiders and insiders, from outsiders and insiders, switch it, flip it. Here's the thing. In making that transition, once we're inside, our general attitude is just like, screw it, touchdown. I'm good. I figured it out. Now it's up for the schleps to do the exact same thing. And by the way, that thing doesn't hold concrete all the time. When we started Echo, I spent years, Kelly can tell you how many ridiculous meetings I went to in this community trying to make inroads because I thought it would be the betterment of our church. We, can, we did a ton of effort to try to make sure we were there. We got there, we were established, but as it changed, it's just like, you know, gone. Like I walk around now and the old faces are there, but some of the new faces are just like, yeah, we, we, we don't know who you are. And it's not done out of malice. They're not like, I'm going to be a hater by the way i was thinking about that i wanted to go this whole tangent insiders and outsiders they have their own language and vernacular right like the toughest thing about not working in a college anymore is i have to like uh go to the urban dictionary to figure out lit and woke right because i'm like no i can do this molly's my cultural guide through that you know that 18 to 20 demographic and how language permeates. I mean, there's just even that, it's hard, isn't it, to make connections. So here's the thing about that, is that are we creating that here within our church? You can go to big circle slide there because this is what we are supposed to be, correct? So I think this challenge goes both ways for us because again, uh, um, again, I travel around to, like this week, I'm gonna go visit, 15 churches, talk to them about how they're doing all this type of stuff. And I have now, in, in my travels, I come into a lot of lobbies, and really about 50% of the lobbies now have some sort of big poster that says, I love my church. Like, it's a thing. And then they have t-shirts, too, and you're supposed to wear that. And we'll have those next week. And you all will wear them. You're like, no, that's, that, that is when I go. Um, but do you know why that works and why people wear them, too? Because of inside-outside culture. And as much as I'm like, okay, I want us to have that. Listen, the reason I don't like that is because it's not about your church. It's not about echo. It's not about, it's about your relationship with Jesus. I'd rather us all have t-shirts, I love my Jesus. But then is that even, is there any way to make that look, I don't know. We'll make it look cool. No, I can't make that woke. Was that, was that right? I can't make that fam? That is fam. Bra. Okay, I can't do it. B-R-A-H, right? Thank you. I needed that. Man, this is denigrating really quickly. Here's the thing. It's not about us coming together so that we can build an empire here. It's about what Jesus does with us together. It's about when something tragic happens in your life or you're there. So listen, if you're an outsider, if you're this person, if you're having that issue right now and you're like, I need to get connected to Echo. That's one of the things we're working on is how to pull this in. Then, you know, say something to me or Dylan or Larry, because right now we're bearing the responsibility of that. And if you want to point somebody out, we'll take your critique and we'll... We'll kick them out of the church. I don't know. We want you to be able to come into this. But because I'm telling you today, a lot of church is like distant participation, right? It's a darkened auditorium where I can go sit in and nobody will know my name and then I can jet out. Friends, that's not faith. 
in Christianity. Now, that seemed like, like a grenade, like a crossroads label grenade, and that's not it at all. Because I love those people. And that's actually the tension they deal with. The tension that the leaders of that church deal with is like, how can we get these people in? It's difficult when you do these things, right? So we need to pray for them because people need that. But again, here, we can't be a place where, you know, we keep that distance because that's not what the church is. That's not what Jesus is, right? It's about us having interconnectedness with our lives. It's about knowing people. So if you're an outsider struggling to get in, we'll teach you some words like lit and woke. We'll figure that out. Just help us help you. Now, for us insiders, here's the thing. And you're like, wait, am I an insider or outsider? Well, if you're asking your question, you're probably an insider. Because if you're trying to claim like I have distance, you're probably an insider more so than anything. You've probably staked your type of claim. What are you doing to help other people feel more at home? Are your circles so finite and tiny that other people cannot penetrate through those. You're like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm about the idea, the concept of people coming in, making connections. Just let somebody else do that because I've got my safe place. For those of us outside or inside, it's never about safety. It's never about safety. It's about Jesus amalgamating all of us together to become one. Again, a lot of you are the introverts. God bless you. Jesus loves you as well. You don't want to be doing the close talking. Maybe you need to just get a little closer. Just a little closer. Because at one point, you were the creep. You were the weirdo. You didn't belong. And then you did, right? Right? So we need each other. We need each other. We need those relationships. That's why we're here. Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes, or I'm sorry, chapter 3. says that we've put on our new self, being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. And as a result... There's no Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. That's a lot of stuff. But basically, it's the end to this is that we're all in Jesus. We're all one. That was Jesus's prayer. That's what we're trying to become. It's not about building a kingdom with a trademark church on the back on it. It's about us living life together and having this. You need people. People need you. That's what the gospel does. It gives us eternal salvation. It brings us together. It sets us free. We've got our communion over here, and this is how we're going to end our time of worship together. And again, the reason that I love this is this is a symbolic gesture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because you don't, like, share communion with somebody else, right? Or maybe you feel led to during this time that's like, can I force feed you communion? Like, just so that we can all be together? And all the people said, no, 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 no. It's something that you do individually, but it's something that we do collectively together. Something that we do together. And that's why today, let's, we're actually going to do it together. We're going to pass around the trays, as we do every week. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to grab a piece of bread, take the cup. If you don't feel that that's where you're at right now, that's fine. Nobody, no judgment. But instead of us eating and drinking separately, we're going to do as some churches do all the time. We're going to wait and we're going to eat it together because that is what this is about communion isn't this individual sport it actually speaks to this yeah jesus saved you but he saved all of us together we need each other that's the connectivity that's what jesus died for he he died to bring us together and we need to remember that every time we gather but especially this morning as we commune so this is what we're going to do i'm going to pray we're going to pass around the trays just take a piece of bread and cup hold on to that use some moments individually to think about the cross and then i'll lead us we'll take it together okay let's pray
Heavenly Father, we give you praise this day. I thank you for those first believers, Father, who Paul wrote this message to. It was difficult for them because they had all these cultural hang-ups that, you know, it was not necessarily this sin that they had, this racism or a prejudice, a hatred. It was just this culture that was pervasive and they wanted to honor you. And that's what you did through Paul. You told them, listen, let's cut it out. Love people like Jesus loved you. We remind us of that right now and this week. Will you help us to remember this moment? That we remember the cross? That we remember the death of our Lord Jesus? That we remember that sacrifice that saved us individually, but that brought all of us together. I love that we live in a world, Father, where we need each other. Some of us don't want to admit that. And for those of us today, break our hearts. Humble us. Help us to reach out to others as we reach out to you. We thank you for this time of communion. We thank you for the cross in Jesus' name. Amen.